When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It's January 30th, 1973, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. When you think reality TV star, you probably think Real Housewives, Kardashians, and photogenic party boys and girls from Essex to New Jersey. You probably wouldn't think of a white-haired Yorkshire woman living on an isolated farm without running water or central heating. But that was Hannah Hawkswell, Britain's most unlikely reality TV star, who charmed the nation today in history when the documentary Too Long a Winter was broadcast to an audience of millions. I'd never seen it before. Had you ever seen it before? No. I had seen it, but I skipped through all the parts that didn't have Hannah Hawkswell in because she really was the star of that documentary. (laughs) It's just the most incredible bit of telly. I really loved it. We'll put the link on YouTube in the show notes to this episode so you can watch it and then listen along if you like, although you do need to clear an hour because it's slow. But it's just such a slice of life. I mean, that even in 1973, I suppose, was presenting a world of kind of rural life in Barnard Castle that was fading then. But now Mm. is just, you know, just I mean, no one lives like that in the UK anymore. And it's just astonishing to have captured it on film. Yeah. And I mean, she came to media attention actually three years before this, when the Yorkshire Post interviewed her about her incredible yearly budget of less than £200 a year. And she both said in that interview that she didn't feel entitled to or that she even needed electricity or running water and seemed content to just sort of tend to her cattle in knee high snow and just like in this crazy sort of survivalist situation. And after the article appeared, her life kind of went on as normal until 1972 when she had a chance conversation with a passing rambler who was just really struck by her she was a very magnetic personality and this person happened to have a friend Barbara Twig who worked as a researcher at Yorkshire Television Barbara tracked Hannah down and found that she was pretty um she wasn't against being in a documentary she wasn't particularly excited about the idea she just said yeah sure if you want and then along came Barry Cockcroft who was a director and a producer who specialized in documentaries about people who were you know living in challenging circumstances and he came across the notes that had been taken so he decided that Hannah would be the perfect person to feature in this new documentary, which would be Too Long a Winter. The name of the show changed to Too Long a Winter because what was special about where she lives is... You know, it's only an hour's drive from Hartlepool, but it looks like Serbia, right? Mm. So they film it from a helicopter and it's covered in ice. Because of the way it's exposed, it has unremitting, harsh winters. And that's the point they were making is she's lived like this for years with just one cow to her name and a (laughs) tiny food budget. But even when they film that with her... I'm not sure it was clear that she was the focus of the program, actually, until Mm. they put it out. I mean, it starts with someone else, doesn't it? You're introduced to another couple first before you even meet her. She was the breakout star because of the way the audience reacted to her story. Yeah, and some of the analysis on why she was such a big hit was that she was really serving as this counterpoint to the deep materialistic 1970s Britain of motorways and supermarkets and pop music and the kind of first wave of cheap foreign package holidays. All the stuff Entr- Basil Fawlty railed against. Right, yeah. <laughs> the people were just really entranced by the fact that there were still these 
people living in really Spartan Victorian conditions in a chunk of the country that was then forgotten is still probably a little bit forgotten. And I think that just like seeing her uh, live in this way reminded them that there was another way to live. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something inherently gripping about someone who's living alone as well in isolated mm. conditions. Hannah Hawkswell had been alone for a really long time. And I think people not only sympathised with the harsh conditions that she had to endure, but also the idea that this lovely woman was alone. And she was only 46 when it aired, but she had white hair. I'm sorry, I feel like I need to stop to gasp again, like I did when she <laughs> revealed her age when I was watching it. Did you gasp? I was like, totally. Oh my God. I mean, (laughs) she looks like a bad 75. And she's 46. She's like four years older than me. And I was genuinely (laughs) shocked. Um, And there's this wonderful bit where she's asked about, you know, why doesn't she have a husband? And this, I think, sort of typifies why people reacted so well to her, this lyrical way that she answers the question. If it isn't a success, then there can be nothing worse than being obliged to share a roof with someone who you're utterly at variance with. It's the sound of someone who's like read a lot of old books and lived by themselves for a long time. It speaks in this beautiful lyrical way about her own desperation. You see that even though she looked, she did look in some sense elderly and frail, she was also incredibly strong, but that these Mm. were inhuman conditions. And that's what really touched people at home, because after the first documentary aired, Yorkshire television was inundated with bags of letters for her. And sometimes people would send money, you know, checks for the old lady from the TV programme, because they did really feel sorry for her. A helicopter had to be hired to fly out these food parcels that people had sent her. People um, chipped in to have her brought electricity and running water and so on. And then you get these next shows that starred her that really are just... I don't know, like fish out of water tails, yes. taking advantage of her naivety and trying to, and, and almost her being, she isn't the butt of a joke, but they are playing on the fact that she doesn't know the modern world. It's the 1980s by this point, isn't it? And I think that's a crucial difference. You know, what was amazing mm. about the first documentary that we're talking about today in 1973 What was really affecting about it is that here's a documentary in which genuinely the people involved have no idea what it means to be on television. She doesn't own a television. She doesn't watch television. She's not interested in television. There's not a single part of them that's thinking, what does my hair look like when they're being interviewed? There's no self-awareness in front of the camera. And then she comes across as this diamond in the rough. What's weird about the follow-up shows is you're absolutely right, the fish out of water thing. That is what they're sitting around discussing in Yorkshire television, isn't it? Let's do Crocodile Dundee, but with it Hannah Hawkswell. Hannah Hawkswell's a hit. Let's take her to New York. Let's take her to <laughs> Tiffany. Yeah. Let's put her on the QE2 and have her talk to the wife of the captain. Yeah. Oh, it'll be hilarious how they're so different. Yeah, I think she was innocent in some respects, but she wasn't naive or Mm. stupid and she wasn't cut off from the world, even though she did live what we would consider a pretty isolated life. You know, she had a battery powered radio. She read heaps. She socialised with people in the village. And it was only certain times of the year that she couldn't reach, you know, civilization that she was cut off. And so watching her didn't feel like exploitation. Mm. You don't feel uncomfortable watching her in these situations because she isn't uncomfortable. You can tell that obviously Mm. she's not used to being, you know, she's not used to meeting a duchess in London or, you know, going to America but she was gracious and dignified and she was able to maintain her composure in all kinds of circumstances so you didn't get that uncomfortable feeling that she was being made fun of or exploited in some way. You also get the sense that she had some ownership of her what you'd now call in a horribly wanky way personal brand like Mm. she as we said earlier was well read and so when it came to writing a book I, I believe that she I mean obviously she sat down with Barry Cockroft to write it but she probably did write it 
And, mm. you know, when she was presenting these documentaries, I mean, of course, she, having lived on a farm for 60 years, she wasn't <laughs> going to be someone who'd naturally know how to write a voiceover link. But I feel like when presented with the script, she would have had the autonomy to say, actually, I don't feel comfortable saying that. Yeah. It feels authentic. But it just also just feels a bit awkward because it's playing to a different audience, isn't it, somehow? And by mm. the early 90s, when she was still making documentaries, it's playing to an audience who, as you say, it's, it's weird because they're not laughing at her. Mm. She's a heroine to them, but they are kind of like wanting her not to change. Yes. And actually she has changed by benefit of being famous and yeah. by the fact that it's 20 years later and she does now have heating and electricity. And it's like they want her to still be the character they fell in love with in the 70s, like she is a character rather than a real person. I think this original documentary certainly has the most charm. But again, also worth remembering that although the later follow-ups maybe weren't as authentic, that her life did improve. I mean, in the mm. first one, you really can't stress like what an incredibly primitive standard of living she had for the 1970s, bearing in mind that this aired in the middle of a massive recession in the mm. UK. She's living on a fiver a month for groceries. So, so the grocer comes and leaves a bag on her fence two miles away from her house, which has got tomatoes, <laughs> yeah. milk, bread, and a tin of spam in it, and yeah, a loaf of brown of bread for the cat. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's know, just she, dark. She yeah. ate the white loaf and the cat ate the brown loaf. Yeah. So the in cat obviously didn't get a look in at the spam, I have to say. <laughs> but, you know, she, was, she didn't have a flushing toilet. She, she was drawing her water from a stream, doing laundry in the reservoir. She had an oil lamp to read by, and she had, like, a, an organ to play for entertainment. And you can tell she's torn about whether she had a better life before when she was living in poverty but in a wild, beautiful place, or whether she has a better life when she gets stopped in the street by everyone who says, oh, I love you, you're such an inspiration, but she has to live in a town and make her living by writing books and stuff. Even though she did push it as far as you could possibly go. I mean, she met the Queen Mother, she met the Pope. <laughs> and also, if that level of fame happened to someone now, even if somehow they'd managed to end up on ITV without having had an Instagram account first, they'd certainly have one by the yeah. end, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, the 2020s show would be Hannah the Hoarder and it would be like yeah. everyone would pitch in with their thoughts, good and bad, about what she'd become. <laughs> oh, she'd be a great decluttering expert on this morning, though, wouldn't <laughs> <Yeah>. she? <laughs> Tomorrow. The way that they trained him was using a pretty controversial technique called avoidance conditioning, which is basically electrocution. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.